This is the London FinTech Podcast, brought to you by your host, Mike Ballaman, bridging the worlds of suits and t-shirts, of finance and technology, bringing you insights, stories, and inspiration from the golden age of opportunity and innovation happening in London right now. Hi, this is Mike Ballaman, and this is the London FinTech Podcast, episode 209, brought to you in association with Smart and enlistedboard.com, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Monica Eaton, founder of Chargebacks 911, who have successfully protected over 10 billion online transactions, recovering over $1 billion for their clients. Those sound like pretty big numbers to me, and whilst, as with everything, I'm dimly aware of what a chargeback is, I nevertheless would wake up in a cold sweat if, in a dream, I was presented with a three-hour exam paper with one question, write in detail about chargebacks using one side of the paper only. And perhaps you would too. So I thought we should all hear a little bit more about what chargebacks precisely are and how to make them work for you, whether you're a consumer, a retailer, or a fintech, or a bank. As hopefully, there'll be more benefits for you than just in case you have that nightmare and actually finally have something to say, if not three hours worth. Plenty to talk about, so let's get on with the show. morning, Monica. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you, and good morning, Mike. And just in terms of morning, you're in America at the moment, and, it, and it's definitely morning here, but I should probably say to you, good very early morning or something, because... <laughs> it's a bit of a dark morning here. You seem to operate crazy hours. Where, whereabouts are you precisely? I mean, here it's uh, 10.15 on a Wednesday. Presumably Wednesday, where you are. Yeah, so uh, still Wednesday for me, and uh, Wednesday morning at 5.15 a.m. So a bit dark outside. I'm in Florida, in Tampa Bay, and yes, it's already hot. <laughs> yes, well, we were just talking about heat or, or lack of when you were away last week. We actually had a recent podcast from um, Florida, so we've, we've covered uh, Miami um, and uh, Florida, which seems to be doing very well these days and having had a holiday and then sort of a few weeks just being um, even more lazy than normal the last podcast I released I'd actually recorded about uh, oh six seven weeks ago and I was moaning at the time about the fact it hasn't stopped raining in the UK and it looked like being no summer since when we've had about seven weeks of continued amazing heat you know into the 30s completely dry <laughs> and uh, as I'm the sort of manual laborer in, in this house I never do anything useful other than sort of lug stuff around I've been busily watering, watering courgettes and uh, carrots and beetroot in the vegetable garden for the last seven weeks so uh, yesterday I was extremely pleased to see water falling from the sky which will hopefully <laughs> for the first time in London right for the first time in ages <laughs> yes exactly hopefully if this carries on but it didn't carry on for too long hopefully this will forestall my um, bankruptcy which will be coming soon when my mortar bill comes in of about a million bucks so anyway but you're quite used to being sort of hot and humid although where you are uh, you're a bit better prepared for it than in London where of course the tubes are about 5,000 uh, degrees if you're lucky but you were saying that you went to a different part of America last week where it was uh, amazingly incredibly cold uh, as it is August. It was. No, I was in Seattle. And typically, I mean, Seattle is known to have London weather, constantly rainy. And I just lucked out. No rain whatsoever, about 20 degrees. It was absolutely perfect. A little bit of a breeze. But needless to say, got back to Florida last night. And it is excruciating. <laughs> and what temperature was it in Seattle? Oh, it was uh, probably around between 18 and 20. That's quite cool. It's just enough to wear a light jacket, but I mean, beautiful, beautiful weather, nice and clear. Excellent. Right. Okay. So having 
started with the most important topics in the world after chargeback, which is, which is the weather, of course. Maybe you'd like to tell the listeners a little bit about your career journey in terms of uh, how you um, have ended up in chargebacks today and, and what the background to that was and, uh, and what led you to thinking that uh, chargebacks was uh, your, your current mission. Sure, sure. Well, I do have, I think this is um, actually kind of a funny story how I got into this industry. I definitely didn't set out to get into payments, let alone chargebacks. I actually started out as a retailer, uh, an online merchant, and my goal, my dream was to compete with eBay. So I had a marketplace and sold products for different clients all over the world. And needless to say, I had this it was kind of like my Achilles heel, this obstacle that I could never quite crack, which was chargebacks. And this was back in, man, 2008, um, so over a decade ago. And, you know, believe it or not, when you searched online for chargebacks, literally nothing came up. There was nothing. And I would ask my banks, you know, what can I do about this problem? And their answer was very simply, you know, Monica, all you need to do is just refund more customers and then you won't have chargebacks. Believe it or not, I was the most ignorant merchant and I thought I was all alone in the world. Clearly, any other retailer already knew about this problem in detail. I was the only one foolish enough to think that I could survive online without understanding chargebacks. So I literally even implemented policies to refund every single customer that called. Just for the, the, the listeners who, who are even less familiar than me with, with chargebacks, just going back to 2008. So what is your sort of exam question definition of a chargeback is just so that we're all on the same page not to interrupt your story he says interrupting your yes story. yes no let's cover that let's cover that first so a chargeback is essentially a dispute that causes the retailer to be refunded by force through their acquiring bank so essentially let me give you an example let's say i order a product from amazon and I'm not happy with it for whatever reason, instead of contacting Amazon to get a refund or return it, I decide to contact my bank. So I call Barclays and Barclays puts through a dispute. I receive a refund as a consumer and it's a pending refund, but I get it almost instantly. And then Amazon has that money taken from their account they also have to pay a fee, a penalty, there's a negative threshold, and if Amazon gets too many chargebacks, then they can have their merchant account terminated so they can't take credit cards anymore. So it's kind of a big deal if you're a retailer. You can't have too many chargebacks, but it is a great protection for consumers because if consumers can't rely on being able to you know, file chargebacks on merchants that don't follow through with what they say they're going to do or protect themselves from identity theft, et cetera, we wouldn't buy things online. So double-edged sword in some cases, but a necessary evil. So you're on the internet and you stumbled into this whole thing because you sold lots of stuff and 50% of the people sort of said, you were contacted by 50% of the people's banks, as it were, and said they want their money back. And you said, what? They sent me email saying it was a wonderful product and all this kind of stuff. So there's a dispute situation. But while that dispute situation is being resolved, you're literally out of pocket and out of product, I assume. Yes, yes. And so what happens with chargebacks, this is the absolutely frustrating, infuriating thing as a retailer, is a consumer will file a chargeback on a transaction that happened six months ago three months ago, even a year ago. <laughs> so, I mean, you've already paid for the product, you shipped the product and you don't have the, the budget in place to account for these because it's completely unexpected. Well, 
as it turns out, as a necessity to stay in business, I could either go out of business because I couldn't figure out what was causing all this problem. I'm ready to pop the champagne and celebrate our success. And then all of a sudden I see all this money come out of our bank account and my, my merchant account gets shut down because of chargebacks. And you know, it's just, it's a revolving door. So needless to say, I dug my heels in and thought, you know, I'm going to figure out this chargeback problem because I really just want to grow a business. I want to focus on expanding. And so what I did is I, I contacted every single consumer that filed a chargeback. You think common sense tells you find out what's causing it and then solve the problem. And I discovered that actually the majority of chargebacks were my own fault. In fact, 106 reasons we codified and built technology to help predict reasons for chargebacks. Little things like I had no idea that the phone number for my customer service center was actually wrong on, oh, on the credit card statements. Yeah, like little things like that that I had no idea about. And so I had consumers trying to contact me and they were getting a disconnect notice. But anyway, covered all those things, built technology, thought, okay, finally, I've solved this problem now, we have it under control. And I also discovered that merchants and retailers can actually contest chargebacks that should not have been filed because many chargebacks are filed accidentally. Consumers contact their bank to ask a question and they don't realize that what, what's actually going on behind the scenes and the bank files a chargeback. So I won money back as well. And anyway, solved my problem. And next thing that happens, it's just the craziest story. I started getting contacted by the banks that previously told me I had too many chargebacks. And these banks referred me new retailers and asked me to help all these different retailers. Some of these retailers were big box retail brands. And so needless to say, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe there's a market for this type of product. I think I'm gonna create a website and I'll just do consulting on the side. And the reason why I came up with Chargebacks 911, which I know it has, it's pretty aggressive name. <laughs> it's definitely from America. Well, not only that, but going back to wrong phone numbers, you got it wrong in the UK. You need chargebacks999.co.uk <laughs> as well. I know. Otherwise, we call 911. We think it doesn't work. Yes, yes. Well, I mean, I didn't have any vision of getting into payments. <laughs> For me, it was it was all about, I thought, you know, this is now my new passion. I want to educate the world and share what I've learned about how to deal with chargebacks. It's a pain point. So it was like therapy. I wrote my, I, I poured my whole heart out on the internet, created this website. So when was this roughly which year? This was in uh, 2010 in 2010 and just at the end of 2010 and called it chargebacks 911 because as a merchant then what i wanted i wanted to dial 911 which is emergency and be rescued from chargeback hell that is what i wanted i didn't i i wanted to speak to merchants at that and it's one of those crazy stories in a matter of weeks i was contacted by the new york times then the wall street journal had a flood of merchants and the rest is history and today we perform services, we, we do everything that has to do with chargebacks and dispute management for financial institutions, fintechs, you name it, retailers. And so we'll come back to your company in a little bit, but just to give us a little feel for the sort of scale of your operations at the moment, I mean, roughly how many staff, customers or capital or, or offices or, or whatever relevant numbers that will help the listeners uh, get an idea of how much bigger you are than one lady in a website? <laughs> 
Sure. Yes, it's it's unfortunately it's not just me. <laughs> we have just under 400 staff worldwide, locations in India, Singapore, the UK, as well as the US, of course. And we operate all over the world. And I presume that in terms of you know these sort of billion type numbers, you must have more than sort of half a dozen customers in all these countries. <laughs> yes, so our customers include card schemes, networks, issuers, acquirers, so financial institutions, we work with fintechs, as well as retailers. I see, okay, well that's a, an amazing story because one of the interesting things about life and sort of getting up every morning, which sometimes one doesn't feel like, is that we all have these models between our ears which we sort of think we know how the world works and you know, uh, and then you come across stuff which actually doesn't fit in, in, in the models. And as you can imagine, one way or another over the last sort of decade, I've heard a hell of a lot of founder stories. But actually, I think you're the first one who did a website which suddenly took off and it turned into a company. And now you've got uh, offices around the world. So that's a, that's a brilliant uh, story and perhaps um, relatively unique, or at least it is for me. OK, so look, let's, let's look a, a bit more precisely at the sort of chargeback thing. So we're dealing with online commerce. And so I buy something tomorrow. And I had, I had a conversation about this some time ago on the podcast, just before a well-known sort of virus emerged. We were in, uh, in the French Alps about to be skiing the next morning. And we didn't. Anyway, long story short, I paid, with, paid for bits of the holiday with, I don't know, a debit card, a credit card, and an app banky stuff and all, and all this kind of thing. And actually, I thought in my naivety that uh, credit cards are the safest thing to use um, online because they've got insurance schemes and, and all this kind of thing. But and of course, I want an insurance company in the background, which is the last thing you want to get uh, involved in. <laughs> um, but then it turned out, much to my amazement, actually, that I think my bank was actually incredibly helpful or, or something like that. So anyway, so basically, I, that's a completely confused picture, but it's a real one from two years ago from me. So I'm left in a, a little bit of uh, in clarity. Maybe we start with this consumer angle as to what I should do, what listeners should do as a consumer if they go and buy some stuff online tomorrow. Is there a simple thing like, oh, around the world, you definitely want to use a credit card or no, well, these days, sometimes depending on your bank, the debit card's better or you know, just, just start off with sort of the, the idiot's guide for sort of consumers, for, for a podcast listener who's going to buy something online this afternoon. Maybe they should be doing it differently or not. Sure, sure, absolutely. So first for consumers, a few words of advice. So definitely, I think buying online is safe, it's efficient. I think all of us have learned over the last couple of years. This is you know, definitely an area that is growing and has a lot of sustainability and technology. So it's more and more secure. Now, when it comes to, per to making a purchase, to make sure that you have the most protection, then I always recommend using a credit card. Now, use a, cre use a card no matter what. If you don't have a credit card, use a debit card. Um, but definitely a card um, as opposed to other alternative. Oh, excellent. Well, that, I think that must have been what happened with the, the skiing holiday because I spoke to whoever it was and I, I've forgotten, I blanked that in my mind. Um, uh, and uh, well, they said, well, you didn't get one. Well, actually, I hadn't even bought it as a package, actually. I bought the hotel and, you know, I bought the plane tickets and, and all that kind of stuff. So they were very simple. Oh, yes. Well, you didn't get what you bought. So we'll, uh, we'll get some money back. And, and that was actually sort of fairly um, straightforward compared to the insurance company. Yeah. It, and the, the other thing that I'll just mention, I mean, this is actually I think this is very good for consumers to recognize. Um, it's not just a protection against, you know, fraud or unauthorized transactions. Literally, it, it's protecting you against the merchant not delivering what they are supposed to, against the merchant misrepresenting 
So if you buy something and you feel like you're tricked, then this mechanism is there to help provide feedback so we can make sure that retailers are not taking advantage. And all you need to do is contact your bank. In fact, many banks have apps today. So you could go to your mobile, click on a button, walk through uh, an online form, and you know it, it doesn't include as much friction as it used to. And the banks have done, to your point, a great job in, in really providing a great service to consumers that, that are suffering from this type of issue. Okay, and I don't want you to sort of provide a list, and I'm sure they exist on, online because um, some of them might be a variety of your clients, but uh, you kind of implied, or I, I heard you were saying, maybe I misunderstood, that the credit card companies have all got sort of similar, relatively high standards uh, of protection. Um, but were you implying that sort of your mileage may vary with the banks, which is certainly what I found in the past. And again, look, I do this FinTech podcast, but if I was to guess tomorrow whether HSBC were going to be kinder to me, should we say, than Revolut, uh, I, I think I'd probably hope I paid with HSBC. I may be dissing <laughs> Revolut unnecessarily, but you know, established mega banks tend to be a bit more robust. But having said that, some banks are bloody rubbish. But <laughs> so it's sim simple question, we, we, you know, don't say any more than you, you want to, of course, but are all banks pretty similar when it comes to their debit cards or, or does your mileage vary and you have to be a little bit careful? So that is a tricky question. <laughs> just, just say yes, yes and no, that'll be fine. <laughs> both, both answers qualify. Uh, no, uh, so what I would recommend, uh, so depending on the brand that is on your card, let's say it's Visa or it's MasterCard, then what I would recommend as a consumer, you can search online for what the policies are for those card brands. Ultimately, those policies govern your rights as a cardholder or consumer. So, you know, if you're running into an issue with your bank, then you can you know educate yourself i think education is always key become an informed consumer understand what your rights are and at the end of the day if you have a legitimate claim don't use chargebacks frivolously because this actually sometimes happens where consumers don't recognize this is literally a a very negative transaction and it's costly for banks to process but if it's a legitimate claim, there should be no issue with, with your bank going to bat for you and making sure that they help you. And there's also exceptions in the process, just like in anything. Um, so get, get educated and, and rely on the relationship with your bank. And that would be, that's pretty sound advice. Yes, no, I think, I think that is excellent because, I mean, how the hell can you answer a question? Is every bank in the world the same? Well, they're, well, they're not. And, you know, generalizing is of, is of little use to somebody walking down the road listening to the podcast who's got two or three cards in their pockets. But just on, on this one, because there's a kind of overlap. I mean, um, the funny thing about uh, credit cards, and you think after 40 years in FS, I understand this stuff, but it, it's retail. I'm not so good at that stuff. My credit card is actually a NatWest MasterCard, which I've had 40 years. And NatWest doesn't even exist anymore, <laughs> or perhaps it means some subsidiary of something else or whatever. But it's sort of interesting from a branding perspective, talking retailing, which is that if you look at that card, it's got MasterCard in huge letters and then sort of this little tiny NatWest and presumably some footnote somewhere, by the way, we don't exist anymore, but we did when Mike first took this card out <laughs> or something, or we bought by somebody who's bought by somebody who's, who's bought by somebody. So just the interesting thing on, um, on, on credit cards and people say, oh, I've, you know, I've got a Visa card or I've got a MasterCard or I've got an Amex card. I think Amex may be different, but just on that branding thing, it's, it's a curious thing really, because we do talk about MasterCard or, or Visa, more than we talk about, I don't know, HSBC MasterCard or, or Revolut Visa cards. So just any thoughts on, on that angle? 
Ministry of Visa are the kind of two levels of protection, which is that the MasterCard scheme is like this, and the Visa card scheme is like that. And then additionally, your bank on top of it may add or subtract, uh, as it were, from that. Because otherwise, the question would be, why aren't all MasterCards absolutely identical, presumably? Yeah, great question. So first, I would definitely, I, I have to underscore that um, in order to ensure as a consumer that you're getting the most, you're, you're getting the best protection, then you really need to be very diligent at identifying issues quickly. <laughs> so don't wait forever. The, the longer that you wait, the less of a chance you'll have to recover those funds. And really it is a timing issue more than anything. But when it comes to the schemes, uh, whether it's Visa, MasterCard, typically, and I think you know the, the appetite in the market, American Express is, is generally you know, more utilized by business owners and there's you know different protections available with Amex, specifically in travel. So I think that's one of the reasons why they've grown in business. So, you know, just as a business owner myself, then if I'm purchasing travel expenses, I would typically use Amex. And for other expenses, maybe I'm going to use my Visa card. One of the things that, that I look at as a consumer myself as well is what are my exchange rates? What loyalty points am I getting? There's a lot of different rewards. There's cashback incentives. So I think just like anything in the market, you really have to analyze the entire package Amex may have better relationships with some of the travel entities where they can, you know, they have more flexibility on reservations, doing things like that. But I may have great cashback incentives from MasterCard. I may have, you know, additional loyalty benefits from different countries that I visit in the APAC region. So, you know, you have each scheme that has a set of additional benefits, and then you also have the underlying rules and to your point, that's layered with then in addition, what your bank can add as protection. So keep in mind, I mean, in, in the UK, for example, you don't just have chargebacks as a right to protect you. You also have Section 75. Of course, I'm completely familiar with Section 75, but just in case there's the odd <laughs> member of the audience who isn't, maybe you let them know what that is. It's another layer of protection to ensure that the retailer, if you used a credit card, then the retailer did what they said they were going to do. And you as a consumer are protected in that particular transaction. I see. OK, well, one thing that's come out of it to me, I mean, certainly for whoever it is in organisations who are looking at what corporate card to get, which is that uh, one of the dimensions which hadn't passed me by, I mean, I, I spotted that some of them have got interest rates on and things like that, but uh, and all the benefits, but um, is also this thing about uh, how the chargebacks work. And of course, uh, Maybe you want to Google it or, or use a search engine that isn't as biased as Google, like Brave or something. Um, okay, so look, we've touched on the, the consumer quite a bit there, in large part because uh, everybody in the audience, I assume, is a consumer unless they're living in a monastery, at which point they just have to hold their <laughs> begging bowl out. And they're obviously in a liberal monastery because they're allowed to use technology and listen to a fascinating podcast. So we'll come on to the, the fintech slash bank perspective in a minute. But as you say, you started as a, a, a retailer. Obviously, it's a huge problem for retailers. So what does the chargeback world look like from a retailer's perspective and what kind of things do you do for them? Sure. For retailers, chargebacks are definitely a growing problem around 20% year over year. So it's not it isn't going down. And actually, interestingly, the chargeback um, in proportion to e-commerce growth 
is growing at a faster rate. So now an e-commerce transaction is 50 times more likely to turn into a chargeback than card present or contactless, which makes sense because it's a faceless transaction. And you know, it, we lose that human aspect. So for retailers, there's three things that we provide to help retailers really understand what's causing their chargebacks and stay on top of it so they can focus on their core competency, which should be getting more customers and improving their product. So that comes down to data, technology, and service. And these are incredibly important. So many retailers, you know, you get a chargeback and you have to consume that chargeback from your acquiring bank. It's in different formats. You don't have a lot of data. What you need to do as a retailer is take that record and then do research to find out what happened on that transaction and then understand the reason for that chargeback. It's, there's a whole set of codes and hundreds of rules that play into this. So we provide that data in a real-time format where merchants can interact with it. We integrate with their CRMs, their order management systems, and we help automate that so they can make good decisions. Next is the technology. So if you have all the data, you wanna make sure that you extract the right insights and you need to process this. So we provide the technology that automates that. And then lastly is the service component. So as a retailer, super important that you get the data, you get the technology, you understand what it means, but many chargebacks are considered to be invalid. In other words, they were filed on a legitimate transaction. This can happen by mistake, it can happen innocently, but it can also be intentional. Consumers can learn this bad behavior and make it a habit because let's face it, as a consumer, if I contact my bank, ask them on a few transactions, experience an immediate refund, I no longer have to pay my credit card bill this month, it's a bit of a reward. <laughs> so I may decide that that's something I'm gonna use every month and just target a few transactions. Merchants that don't defend themselves against chargebacks that are filed on legitimate transactions are going to have more, not less. And statistically, 50% of cardholders that file chargebacks on illegitimate transactions will do it again in 60 days if the merchant fails to defend themselves. So it's super important that the merchant contest those chargebacks and to do so, you have to put together all their evidence and this is where our service comes in. We automate that process to defend the merchant so that they can focus on their core business. I see and I assume similarly to the insurance industry where if you take out insurance policies and keep fraudulently complaining that something's broken, it hasn't, and you get money from them, that I assume that in the insurance industry, there's a sort of a, a, a naughty list, and then there's eventually a sort of a fraud list, and there's eventually a sort of a Tower of London list of people who sort of fail, keep claiming basically completely fraudulently. So I assume there's some something relatively similar applies either at a bank level or the banks, uh, or at the sort of the card scheme level, because uh, clearly the system needs to protect itself against people who are literally just ripping off the retailer or the bank or whoever. Yes, yeah, so you are spot on, and that is a brilliant example. It, it's a, it works exactly the same. So um, not as sophisticated yet. I mean, this is still, a, I would say, largely a work in, pro in process, but there's the industry today, one of the challenges with chargebacks is, you know, the chargeback system was created 
I think like in 1974 or something. And it's not the most efficient mechanism behind the scenes. There's lots of manual processes. So unlike the insurance industry where it's really consolidated, it's, it's robust, there's different standards in place. With chargebacks, you have different schemes, you have different classes of retailers. There's lots of different payment methods. There's a lot of change. So unfortunately, every stakeholder still needs to take a pretty decent chunk of responsibility themselves. But but you're right, the industry, it is, it is coming to a place where I think in the future, we can forecast there will be more standards and it will work very similar where there's the naughty list. <laughs> there's, there's classes of, you know, these are people who are taking advantage of the system and they're going to be blocked from continuing to do so. Excellent. Okay, so that leads quite nicely in then to chargebacks for fintech or for a bank as they're sort of somewhat pig in the middle uh, between all these various sort of pieces of retailer, consumer and card schemes uh, uh, and all that. And uh, as well as feeling um, glad that I haven't had a, a three hour exam in my, my dreams on, on chargebacks. And if I do, I'll say this, this is papers for Monica, it's not for me. It obviously sounds like quite a good reason for me not to go off and uh, uh, creating that bank tomorrow because it's a huge headache or if I do I actually have to sort of pin the tail on a donkey and, and get that person to sort of sort it out because it's something that one needs to get a, a grip of. Now obviously fintech is a is a vast domain in itself and not everybody's banks and, uh, and all this kind of thing but how can fintech slash banks who need to know about this stuff how can they work make it work best for them I mean along with of course obviously hiring you guys because you know Yes, hire us, it. and then we'll solve all the problems. Oh, there we go. So that's, that's, that's a nice, simple answer to the question. <laughs> so, okay, so so if there, if you have a fintech, and specifically, you know, let's say a, a startup and an FI payment facilitator or a financial institution, whether you're on the issuing side, the acquiring side, let's face it, you're dealing with payments. Now, when it comes to chargebacks. There are layers and layers of compliance rules, and actually these rules change per region and based on the type of merchant. So it gets kind of complicated. So what we provide is a software solution that kind of sits on top. It's cloud-based, it's SaaS. Regardless if we're in the mix or not, it's important for any type of financial institution or fintech, if they're in this space, to make sure that they have an agile system that can adapt to rule changes. And many banks are, you know, still working off of mainframe environments. And I, I realize like everybody has on their roadmap, we're moving into the cloud. Let's face it, that's not going to happen overnight. So during that process, then it's important that you don't suffer the consequence and the loss by not being able to take advantage of the latest, greatest rules. These rules are changing frequently. And if you imagine, if you are an international financial institution, you're probably processing payments for no less than six schemes. So that means six different sets of rules that are changing at least twice a year with different regions, different compliance standards. And if you can't keep pace with these changes, you're going to lose out on ability to recover money, reduce costs, leverage automation. You know, so all of the schemes are aware that chargebacks are growing. And in order to help solve this problem, then they have to affect more change. So financial institutions need to ensure they can keep pace with that, which means investing in technology. Either they can do it themselves and recruit the right expertise 
make sure that they have that agile system, or they can outsource to a third party, maybe a BPO service, or they can leverage software. A BPO service means? Business process outsource. So, you know, to a company in the Philippines, for example. Most banks have a, a company in India that they work with today, it seems. Indeed, it all sounds incredibly complicated. So just wrapping up then, as you say, you've been on the case of charging back for oh, some 14 years or something like that, which seems like quite a while. Yeah, we, we started uh, in 2011. But you did your original survey before that, wasn't it about 2008 or something you were saying when you found there were 106 yes, reasons. Yes, as a merchant, right. Yeah, 106 <laughs> things you can cock up and, and create charge back hell for yourself or, or whatever the snappily right, right, titled right. blogcast was. Anyway, for quite some time. So you have enough dots to join them together and into some kind of trajectory going forward. How do you see the future of this sort of charge back world going? Well, I don't think chargebacks are going away. I think um, I have maybe a bit of a controversial view that I think you'll find the industry as a whole is interested in reducing chargebacks. But here's what happens. We're also interested in reducing friction and improving the consumer experience. It's all about the customer experience. And when you make things faster and more efficient, where I can literally click a button on my mobile and get relief from a chargeback, you can't take that away. <laughs> so volumes are going to increase. So what I see happening is there's going to be more activity, not less, but we're going to see a transition. And this is already happening with the digital age where dispute inquiries, less of them become a negative chargeback statistic. And there's going to be more opportunity for merchants, for retailers to submit data and exchange that data with consumers through financial institutions much sooner. So it doesn't have to turn into a negative chargeback, but they can resolve that inquiry and we can start to leverage faster, more efficient communication mechanisms. I see. Okay, well, that sounds very coherent and it fits in with the overview that um, roughly everything that's going on in the world, although perhaps we did it with governance, um, is heading in the direction of being much more the information age and data driven and technology yes. driven. Yes, yep. And all that it's all about data. Yes, if only we could sort out sort of uh, Westminster and uh, Washington in the same way. <laughs> one impenetrable problem at a time. So before we wrap up the show, I'd like to thank all you listeners out there. I hope this has given you, whether you're a consumer or a fintech, uh, plenty of food for thought and a better way to book your holiday next time around. And my brand partners of the podcast, Smart is transforming pensions and retirement worldwide. Their leading edge retirement tech platform propelled them to success in the UK. Now they're operating on four continents and working with partners like Zurich and JP Morgan. Find out more at www.smart.co. Enlistedboard.com, your guide to entrepreneurial governance and how you can start making your board an engine of growth today. So, Monica, you've been pretty comprehensive in covering all of these angles and chargebacks911.com. Your company has been uh, mentioned once or twice, but just for uh, simplicity and clarity's sake, maybe you'd just like to tell the listeners what you feel they uh, need to know about you guys, what products you provide to who, in which countries. And then secondly, you're obviously a large company and very successful at the moment, but what you need to be even bigger and better than you are today. Great. Well, thank you so much, Michael. And by the way, great interview. It's always nice to to, to talk with you and, and listen to your podcast. Really appreciate the opportunity. I'm glad there's Bitcoin arrived in your account, actually. I wasn't sure why they'd arrived yet. <laughs> As I've always said, bribery is the fastest way to the top. <laughs> but let's not talk about Washington. <laughs> let's keep off that. <laughs> 
bribery or flattery. I think they go both in hand. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes. So chargebacks 911, we provide services, I was saying, to, to merchants, to retailers. We're experts in e-commerce. We also provide chargeback type of services for any type of loyalty cards, um, private labeled cards, and alternative payment methods. Yes, believe it or not, some alternative payment methods also are getting are providing chargeback rights. So that's continuing to develop. So we provide the data, technology, and the service component for, for merchants worldwide. And we've been operating for 10 years. Uh, we operate in every country, in every language. For financial institutions, an arm of our business, another brand, is FI911. And you may have heard this, for financial institutions, we provide the dispute processing and we provide all of the rules and the mechanism that can sit right on top of authorization and settlement to automate the entire process for chargebacks. And then, of course, we also provide white-labeled solutions for any of our merchant SaaS solutions. So if anyone needs any assistance in any of that, definitely feel free to contact us. Go to our website, chargebacks911.com or fi911.com. Excellent. And do you need any more countries, any more staff, any more developers or whatever anywhere? At the moment? Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you so much for reminding me. We are always, always looking for incredible people. <laughs> so specifically, we're doing a lot of recruiting right now in Singapore. So in the APAC region, as well as Brazil. Um, so for those that are listening internationally, those are hot markets for us right now. And we're looking for project managers as well as sales staff, relationship managers. And in general, if you are passionate about chargebacks, you should be working for us. Give us a call. <laughs> I don't think you can ever have a shortage of great people that are passionate about this subject. <laughs> ah, excellent. I like your evangelism angle there. And again, looking at the, the longer term, I mean, a, a decade of me knowing about a little bit about fintech and all that. One thing that's uh, extremely apparent it hasn't been through my entire career, which is that all the hot, sexy stuff can be terribly frothy. Everybody wanted to be a peer-to-peer. -peer. Everybody wanted to do FX. Everybody wanted to be an app bank. But surprise, surprise, all the sort of apparently shiny things that the magpies like, the hot and sexy things, they turn out to be a very hard trip as an entrepreneur to make loads of money in. And the things where people have done very well, indeed, have been the less sexy, plumbing-y stuff under, <laughs> under the floorboards, inside the wall right. thing, the, yes. the vital things that go into, metaphorically speaking, every building out there and that are often, you know, quite antiquated technology but with a lot of upside. People in, in tech tend to be quite little to tech per se. And it is often the way that um, you're going to get more interesting projects, more resources and more excitement out of the unglamorous uh, end of tech as opposed to the new sexy, hot, leading edgy. Oh, totally. Yeah. A 70 millionth crypto project that's launching tomorrow kind of stuff. Now, maybe the 70 millionth crypto project will be fantastic. I don't know. But I'm simply <laughs> saying that based on a decade of getting hundreds of emails a month about uh, fintechs uh, and all that kind of stuff is that one shouldn't look at whether it's some sort of shiny, hot, sexy, because actually the engineering that goes into the, the solid stuff is often uh, more challenging because it needs to work all the time and your users won't forgive you. Absolutely. Well, and it yeah, it takes new technology. I mean, to your point, you know, I think this is literally the most exciting industry that I can even imagine. I mean, I, I, I dream about solving these problems because as crazy as it is, but I'll tell you what's exciting is 
I think it's always exciting to consider that you have an opportunity to create an amazing, fantastic impact. And if I look at, you know, this is a legacy problem and it, it is, it only happens on a very small percentage of transactions. And you're right, it's not sexy. It's the piping. There's all these challenges, but it's all about creating a new world and not necessarily taking a better version of the old. So that is innovation. That's pure innovation. And it's, there's, there's no better opportunity, I think, to, to allow brilliant minds to come together and really architect how this new world needs to operate. You have alternative payments. I mean, there couldn't be, there couldn't be more change to work with. And all of that creates a lot of excitement going forward. I think we have, we have a great trajectory to look ahead. Excellent. Well, as I said on a, a recent podcast, one thing that's very readily forgotten is that roughly all of the creation in the world these days is, is done by entrepreneurs and founders. There aren't many brilliant artists, it seems to me. There are no Rodin sculptures or uh, Goyas or, or anything like that. But in a world where we see so much destruction of culture and civilization, the entrepreneurs are the one who are building, ones who are building it. And there are seven billion of us in the world. Seven billion will never be entrepreneurs. So there's a very small number of people who aren't, are entrepreneurs. But they're the ones who are fixing things. And all of our lives rely on a million different components. So it's really brilliant that Chargebacks has got you, Monica, who's so keen, passionate, and from the beginning really dived into the details, making this little aspect better. Because if I've come away with one thing, it's that if you're a consumer or a retailer or fintech slash bank uh, or whatever, chargebacks can be a right pain. So somebody that's sort of lessening pain points for all 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 parts of the circle uh, is doing a really good job for humanity. Because in a year's time or five years time, there'll be many more people out there who don't have some pain in the arse. And they, of course, like human beings as we are, we don't wake up every morning thinking, hey, I'm so glad I don't have a headache today. Hey, I'm so glad I don't have a cold. So they won't notice. But in the in the meantime, when you go when you turn up to the pearly gates, uh, St. Peter will be saying, oh, look at all those human beings out there. There's a, there's a billion of them and they don't have a headache this morning because you sorted that, you know, <laughs> well done. We'll, we'll give you the sort of, you know, we'll give you some stall seats uh, up, up here in heaven. So thank you very much for that, Monica. And I wish you every success in the future. Thank you so much, Michael. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you're in need of a non-executive or advisory director with deep expertise, experience and contacts in the worlds of both traditional FS and fintech, or unique insight into how to make your board an engine of growth today, contact me at mike at mikeballiman.com. If you just need one-off advice in these areas via clarity.fm slash mikeballiman. We could sit in a bender all day Watching the firelight dance Watching the firelight dance We could walk in the mountains before dawn Watching a happy moon ride Watching a happy moon ride To come away from the city With the tarmac so dead And the people so sad Come away from the city But with the faces so great With the pain of the
the mountains and the trees. Can you see what I mean? Can you see what I mean? We fade in between the earth and the sky. Kiss the city goodbye. Wave the city goodbye. Wave the city goodbye. Watch the firelight dance with me. 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 Watch the firelight.